Um, Thanksgiving, I mentioned earlier, is just around the corner. And i got a question for you today. What do you think of when I say Thanksgiving? What comes into your mind? Turkey. Being thankful. What else? Family. Is it football? Okay, you said the big three. That's what I was looking for. I had the big three. Family, food, and football. When I think of Thanksgiving, and maybe I'm wrong because some of you might go, the, the thing you wish wasn't at Thanksgiving was football because you may have to go to a relative's house and they watch football all day and you're like, ah, I hate this stuff. But football, God created Thanksgiving for football. Just so you know that. So family, food, and football. And probably when you think about it, not in that order. Because I really think, and you guys gave me that you proved it, the first thing you said was turkey. And so I think what we really think of when we think of Thanksgiving is we think of food. You know, we think of turkey and stuffing and cranberries. I heard Suzanne on the phone yesterday with my mom making the preparations for who's bringing what for Thanksgiving dinner. And Suzanne makes the best cranberries. Um, every holiday we have, people request Suzanne's special cranberries, even not even Thanksgiving. They want her special cranberries, uh, mashed potatoes, gravy, all the rest of the stuff. Do you have any idea in America how much turkey we eat on a typical Thanksgiving? I looked it up. (laughs) On average, 1.6 billion, with a B, billion pounds of turkey. 1.6, I thought, that can't be right. It must be million. I look back, 1.6 billion pounds of turkey. That's at least what we did in 2009, and they said it's pretty typical. 1.6 billion pounds of turkey. Now, um... That's not all eaten on, tur- on Thanksgiving because if you're like us, like we have to go to my parents' house for Thanksgiving, so we have to make sure we also make our own turkey at home just so we have leftovers. And so you have to have turkey because we wouldn't have leftovers because it's at my mom and dad's house, so we have to make our own turkey uh, because we want to have, you know, all the sandwiches. You know what? I don't like white bread. I don't know why I'm telling you this. I don't like white bread. I like rye and sourdough. But the one time a year I like white bread. After you've eaten all you can eat and you're watching football, you're sitting with family. You wait till you're finally hungry enough, which doesn't have to be real long. You're not really hungry, but you tell yourself you are. And you get up and you take white bread and you put all kinds of mayo on it. And then you get the white meat. I'm a dark meat guy, but the white meat, white meat, a bunch of salt, and if you're like Suzanne, a little bit of cranberries. Put that thing together. It's heaven. They're going to serve it at the marriage supper of the lamb. And so, you know, that's what we're going to maybe quite possibly after we watch the Angels play football, we're going to uh, we're going to eat that. I'm not sure, but but we eat 1.6 billion pounds of turkey on Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving has become about eating till you're stuffed. And I want to tell you something. I think it's okay. Matter of fact, when I was researching how much turkey we ate, a lot of nutritionists said it was okay, as long as you don't live your life that way all the time. Because there's a time for feasting, and there's a time for fasting. And Thanksgiving is a celebration, and we really get it because we're Christians, a celebration of the goodness of God towards us. And so we, we feast at Thanksgiving. And you might choose to fast at Thanksgiving because you want to use your resources to bless somebody else to feast. That's good, but, but it's okay, I think, at times to say it's is time just to feast and to celebrate, and to enjoy. And and Thanksgiving is is one of those times just that we can't live in that feasting mode all the time. 
And thinking about this, coming towards Thanksgiving, made me, made me think about something. About being full or being empty. But not about being physically full, you know, eating more than my share of the 1.6 billion pounds of turkey for a day. But being spiritually full, being spiritually filled up in my life, or being spiritually depleted. That, that Thanksgiving just made me think about that. I thought, you know, we, we think about eating and being physically full, but what about being spiritually filled up? And to ask ourselves as Christians, as, as the members of Portview Church, are we spiritually more spiritually full, or are we more spiritually empty? And I know that's going to vary and would vary from person to person because we're individuals and we all have different walks with God and we all have different disciplines and, and so it's going to be different. But, but which way do we tend to lean? Do we tend to lean towards fullness or do we tend to lean towards emptiness? And as I was thinking about that, I was wondering, how would we tell? How could you quantify that? Because I, you know, how can I tell if, if I'm spiritually full or spiritually empty? How could you tell? if you're spiritually full or spiritually empty, how would we determine um, what that would look like? You know, because here's the deal. If I open up my shirt, I don't have a fuel gauge inside there that says spiritual fullness, spiritual... I get in my car driving home today, and I know the other day Suzanne and I were driving, and, and it was freezing cold out, and being the good husband that I am, and I knew she had to go to work the next day, and it was kind of late, and, and I looked at the fuel gauge, and I'm in her, in her in the van, and it's like empty. And so I pulled the gas station. She said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm filling up your car. Because it was cold outside, and they said that way you don't have to stand outside in the cold. And, and she said, oh, you're so sweet, and that's all, it was all worth it for that. Um, but we have a fuel gauge that says spiritually full, spiritually empty, but, but I can't open up my shirt or, or look inside of me and see that and see where am I at, where am I pegging towards spiritually full or spiritually empty. So how could we tell our spiritual fullness level? As I was trying to ponder that and think about it, I thought maybe we could come up with some kind of a, of a self-test. Some kind of a self-evaluation that would do it. And I, and I thought about this. Have you ever had to fill out a job reference or a college reference or a volunteering reference for someone? As a pastor, I get those a lot because everybody wants the pastor to be their reference for their job or for their college application or whatever. So I, I fill out a lot of them, of these of reference forms for other people. Or maybe you've done self-evaluation of yourself and it's a reference and and often on these, these reference forms or self-evaluations, there's a question that has a list of descriptive words. And you are asked, as the one filling it out, to circle the words that best describe the person in question. And so you get this thing, and it's usually kind of in the middle of the, of the, of the reference form, and you open it up, and you look every time, and there's this whole list of descriptive words, and you're supposed to go through there. So, for example, you're filling it out for somebody, and maybe you circle the word friendly, and you don't circle the word rude. And they're, they're both in the same list, but you'd circle friendly and not rude. Or, or maybe you circle rude and not friendly. And the people giving the test, what they want is, that, is giving them some, some, some insight into the character and the personality and the, and the makeup of the person that you're feeling this out. Remember, they're trying to figure out, does this person belong here? Do they fit? Well, what if we were to make up a similar kind of test of descriptive words that could serve as a self-test for us to determine the spiritual fullness level of us as Christians. Instead of having a fuel gauge in me, what if we could create a self-test that could be a help, it could be a guide? You know, and I, I think that could be helpful for us, right? I think it would be revealing for us um, as we work towards spiritual advancement and development because as children of God, I hope we understand we're all supposed to be in process, that newsflash, no matter how long you've lived for God and 
how high you think you've come, we just scratch the surface. We all got a long ways to go in our walk with Jesus to move forward. Doesn't mean that God loves us more or loves us less. It just means there's always advancement to do in our in our spiritual life. And so it would be helpful and it would be revealing for us if we could develop a a, a self evaluation test um, that would say how how am I doing? Am I tending towards full or am I tending towards empty? Well, as I thought about, it, I thought something. You know what? The scriptures really have done this already for us. They've already given us this self-evaluation test. In the book of Galatians, it gives us some words that describe the condition of spiritual fullness and spiritual emptiness. And the the self-test questionnaire, based on that section of Scripture, and we'll read it in a minute, would look kind of something like this. Let's look at this. If you're going through the self-evaluation test, you'd come to this test right here. Look up at the screen. And you see this list of descriptive words that would talk about really um, descriptive of of spiritual fullness or spiritual emptiness. And and the words in Galatians are angry and peaceful. Now these words are a little bit, some of them are a little little bit different in order to to make them fit in the list, Um, but they all mean exactly the same thing as they do in Galatians. So angry, peaceful, sexually immoral, and you can understand what that means, you know, looking at pornography or lusting after another person or whatever, envious, wanting what other people have, loving, gentle, impure, divisive, you're going to be a quarreler, cause dissension, drunkard, drink too much, kind, self-controlled, a partier, um, faithful, meaning excessive partier, meaning you're getting drunk all the time and, and getting out of hand, faithful, selfish, you always think about you first, ambitious, jealous, explosive, whenever you, when your cup gets jiggled, you explode, and then you have to apologize all the time, joyful, patient, lustful, or good. And in Galatians, it, it kind of it gives that. It gives a, a descriptive list of descriptive words that would say, that would help us understand if we're leaning towards full or empty. And this is what I want us to do for 60 seconds. I want you to take your bulletin or a piece of paper, or you can do it in your mind if you want, but I think it would be better if you, if you do it with a, with a pen and a paper. It takes 60 seconds, and I want you to look through the list and pretend that you're filling this out for yourself. And I want you to take maybe five or six words. Be honest. Don't do you any good to lie about you. No one else is going to look at it. And out of that list, take five or six words and jot them down. That if you are filling this out for yourself, and you're being honest, which words, which of the four, five or six would you circle that would indicate where you're at? That would just talk about your personality, especially think of it this way, that if your cup gets jiggled, something goes wrong, what comes out? Take a minute and do that. Don't do it for the person next to you. There can be some help in that. When I was in college, as you're doing this, when I was in college, we had to take personality profiles, and what they did is if you were married, they also had your wife or husband fill out the same personality profile for you because they wanted to see, did they view, the, did they view you the same? And they would compare them and see, did, were you really being honest with yourself? Because um, if you're, you came across as wonderful and your wife said you came across as terrible, they, the, the counselor would say there's probably something wrong. So we're getting near 60 seconds. Five or six words that jump off the screen 
if you're honest with yourself. Okay. Been about 60 seconds. Well, now for the, the revealing part. Galatians 5. And I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying here. Breaks, because sometimes we misunderstand this. Breaks these descriptive words down into two lists. The one list is a little longer than the other, but I had to make them kind of even to, to fit on this thing. The one is a list of what your life would look like if you're full spiritually. What results, those things that result from being spiritually full. And the other is a list of those called the deeds or the results of the flesh. In other words, and this is what I want you to understand, those things that occur naturally, just the natural human person living in our, in our fallen world, the natural um, outcomes of a life where a person is relatively empty spiritually, and therefore, because they're empty spiritually, they're more ruled by their humanness, by their flesh in that person, and so other traits tend to come, come out of them. That, that, that side of it, the list, and we're going to read them in a minute, is, it tends to show a person who would be running on empty spiritually. Now, as I read the two lists from Galatians, remember we're talking this for Christian people. As I read the two lists from Galatians, notice where the words you have written down are found. Are they found in the, the list that we're going to say, the one list of the, the deeds of the natural flesh? Or are they deeds of the Spirit-filled fruit of the Spirit life? And kind of pay attention to where did you draw your words from. Again, the words might look a little different, um, but you'll see them in there. The root's there. I just had to alter them a little bit to, to make it fit, uh, make it work on this. So I'm going to read Galatians 5, verses 19 to 23, and it says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, which I have divisive up there, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, as we look at that and we, we bring our words that we would have circled, we wrote down or we mentally made a note of them, and we look at the two lists, the list of the flesh and the list of the spirit, the question we ask ourselves is, what am I discovering? Were the descriptive words that you wrote down more from the list of the spirit influence or more from the list of the flesh influence? Did you write down words like, kind and gentle and loving and, and self-controlled? And, and honestly, would your spouse write those or your kids write those words down for you? Were there more of those? Or were there more of angry and selfish, partier, divisive, greedy? Were there more of those words on the list? And when you figure that out, you ask yourself, am I, you can make a comparison or make a, a conclusion, am I more towards spiritually full or spiritually empty. Because if I have more from the spirit side, I'm more spiritually full. If I'm more from the flesh side, I'm more fleshly full. And let's remember, this is a self-test. It's for you to see yourself more clearly. And here's why. 
man, we could have done this for somebody else. And it's, I'm not saying it's improper, but here's why I want to point out today. A lot of times we see ourselves differently than is different than reality. We see ourselves usually in one of two extremes. We either see ourselves way better than we really are, or we see ourselves way worse than we really are. Some people come, came to Christ maybe years and years ago, and they continue to be ruled by the flesh. You know what? I remember when I wrestled with this concept years ago, and I was mad when I concluded it was true from Scripture, because I used to believe it wasn't. That you can be, Paul says, a carnal Christian, a fleshly Christian. He says it's bad. He says it's wrong. He says it will lead to destruction. It will have consequences. But he says you can be. And you can be a person. You can come to Christ years and years ago. And you can continue to walk in rulership of the flesh your whole life. And that person, you can live that. You're very spiritually empty. But that person that lives like that, here's what I found out. They usually don't see it about themselves. I'm hoping a test like this helps you see it. They don't see it about themselves. They don't understand that they really aren't hardly any different than they were when they came to Christ. Maybe they're not a whole lot different than they were six months after they came to Jesus. Those first six months, God dealt with some, some big external things, but inside they're really just about the same, and they don't see that they're really just almost identical same person they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Well, if that's you, honest self-evaluation is the first step to growth and development. And that growth and development, listen, leads to the joy of a spirit-filled life. That's where joy comes in, in a spirit-filled life. One of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. thing that everybody's shooting for. Joy, happiness, love. What they're shooting for is a spirit-filled life. They just don't know that's what they're looking for. They think they can get it through activity, um, through accomplishment. But the Lord, the Lord says, no, that, joy spirit, that, that joyful life is a life of spiritfulness. And so honest, healthy evaluation, self-examination is the first step to understanding, hey, I need to go forward, I need to grow. And that's a good thing, to see the truth about ourselves. But some people on the other side of the spectrum, maybe because, and this is what I've generally noticed, because of hurts and abuse maybe in their background, tend to think more poorly of themselves than is true. They're always thinking what a rotten person they are. They're always defeated. But yet, as they've been walking with Jesus and, and integrating the truths of God's Word and, 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 being, and, and, and connecting with the Spirit in their life, the fruit of the Spirit is just growing and blossoming and thriving, but they just don't see it in themselves. So honest self-evaluation can help you celebrate the spiritual growth and the spiritual healthiness in your life can help you be amazed at the good things that God is doing in you. Some of you need to understand, God's doing awesome things, you just don't see it. You know? But everybody else around you sees the transformation. And I want you to see that for yourself. So the question is, what are you seeing in yourself? Are you leaning more towards spiritually empty? Or are you leaning more towards spiritually full? What did the, what's the self-test reveal to you? Being honest when you think, when things don't go the way I plan, which things are revealed in me? You know, when I miss the drive, do you throw your clubs in the, in the pond? You know, when you're cut off in traffic, do you salute the person? 
You say, oh, Christians don't do that. You know how many times I see Honk If You Love Jesus on a bumper sticker and I see them saluting somebody or something for, uh, for doing something inappropriate? All the time. Um, what are you seeing in yourself? Are you leaning more towards spiritually empty or spiritually full? Well, this is what I know about this whole topic. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says this. It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Isn't it interesting? Um, and it's funny, he's going to pair spiritual fullness with drinking. Um, and even 2,000 years ago, we understood that drinking excessively ruins your life. But don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, says in Ephesians 5. Friends, that's God's plan for his children. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be full. He wants us, if we could pull our thing off and see our meter, it says full. If we take the test, we get the words, we circle them, that indicate full. But this idea, being filled with the Spirit, it's an interesting phrase in Ephesians. And you could miss it if you, if you didn't understand what it's saying here. Because it's interesting because the tense of the Greek for the word to be filled makes it clear that such a condition does not stop with a single experience but is maintained by continually being filled. And I've heard people say this way, that the way it's written in the original language is be being filled. It's a constant activity of being filled. And this is how it works. This is how we see it in Scripture. Christians, after they come to know Jesus as Savior and begin to follow his leadership, um, are to be, according to Scripture, filled with the Holy Spirit. Scripture says to be, to be filled with the Holy Spirit or to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's, the same, it's, it's used interchangeably. They mean the same thing. And we see this really clearly in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, where the disciples had been walking with Jesus and they'd been living with him and they'd seen all his miracles and they understood him to be Messiah and they knew Jesus as their own personal Lord, their own personal Savior, Um, they were instructed to stay in Jerusalem and wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit before they would begin any ministry in Jesus' name. And then in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit in a very dramatic and a very public way. It says there were tongues of fire that rested on them and the sound of a great windstorm occurred and they all began to speak in various languages and in different tongues, um, proclaiming Jesus as Savior in a language Um, that the bystanders in the city understood, but they didn't even know how to speak themselves, but God was doing it through them. And those Christian men and women had an occurrence where they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see this same pattern repeated over and over and over in the early church. It occurred to the Christians in Samaria in Acts chapter 8, and it occurred to the the Gentile Christians in Acts chapter 10, and it occurred to another group of believers in Acts chapter 19. Christian men and women, already Christian men and women, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And listen, church, if you are a Christian, God's plan for you is for for you to live the, the full life that he has for you, is for you to be filled, empowered with the Holy Spirit. For you and I, after we meet Jesus, to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives in all of his fullness and give him all of his control, to ask God to fill you with His Spirit and then to accept His fullness by faith the same way you accept salvation by faith and say, I ask and therefore I, I, I have faith that I receive, right? 
That's what God's Word tells us. But here's my point today, in addition to that. It doesn't stop there. That's just the first step into the Spirit-filled life. And one of the issues in, in Pentecost and charismatic teaching over the last number of years is they focus on that event and they miss the whole rest. I'm saying that's just the doorway. After that, then, we need to do what Ephesians 5.18 instructed us to do. To repeatedly and continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Having a life of investing and inviting the Holy Spirit to fill us. And church, that is a matter of priority and lifestyle. That's what that is. Ephesians 5 gives us some insight here as we, as we look at it. It says, um, um, after it says to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, it says then what? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's saying this, that the way to continually and repeatedly be filled with the Holy Spirit is by having a lifestyle of continual focus and openness to the Holy Spirit's influence. So what do we do? We sing about the things of God. We think about the things of God. We talk about the things of God. We have a heart of thankfulness towards the great things that God has done. He says that's what you do. You prioritize your life around an openness to God and a desire for God's presence in your everyday. You prioritize by integrating into your life activities and practices that draw you toward an openness to God, and you eliminate activities and practices that may rob you of intimacy with God. So you do things like set on your calendar every week, Sunday morning, Sunday is God's day. It's not negotiable. It becomes a priority. And you schedule around in your day, every day, um, in your schedule, times of where you talk to God in prayer and where you worship Him in, just the, in the beauty of His holiness on your own, not just in Sunday morning church. And you take time to reflect on who He is and what His Word says. And, and you take times of, of spending time in Scripture, of allowing God to speak to you through His, through his Word. You structure those things into your life. And those priorities, these priorities are not done to somehow earn favor with God. And that's sometimes what we think. Check mark, check, check, check. God's happy. I did all these things. That becomes duty. It becomes religion. And it becomes empty and it becomes frustrating. You don't do them to earn the favor of God. Can I let you in on a little secret? You can't impress God. You can't impress God. The Bible says something that I remember when I came to terms with this years and years ago that really I thought, What? It says even your righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. Even the best thing you can do. You go, is that because God looks at me bad? No. God looks at you wonderfully. But he just understands there's nothing about you that you can do to impress him. And it's all about him in you. And you're wonderful because you know what the Bible says when you come to Christ? You're hidden with Christ in God. When the Father sees you, he sees Jesus. And that's beautiful and that's perfect. So these practices that we do to connect us to God, to keep us open to the Spirit, they're not done to earn favor with God because we can't impress God. Rather, we do these things, these spiritual exercises, in order to put us in the right position, to put us in the right condition to be continually filled with God's presence by His Spirit. A Spirit-filled life. Were those descriptive words that describe the good side, the Spirit-filled life? Where they thrive 
is an outcome of a lifestyle where we continually desire God's involvement in our life and we continually um, build our lives around these things that make us receptive to God's presence. Here's what I want you to understand today. Spiritfulness isn't a mystery. A lot of people think, as you know, the Bible says the Spirit's like the wind, he's a mystery. And it's true. I'm not saying we figure out the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying is spiritfulness isn't a mystery. It's a result. It's a result of a life that prioritizes an openness and a seeking after the presence of God continually in their life. The way that the, the fruit of the Spirit part of that, of that um, exercise is developed in your life, it's not a mystery. It's simply by prioritizing, it's the result of a life that prioritizes an openness and a seeking after the presence of God in their life. And God will then work in your life and transform you. He'll make you into someone who is ruled by the Spirit instead of being ruled by the flesh. The Spirit wins over the flesh. The Spirit rises up, the flesh goes down. Now thousands of years ago, before thousands of years before Christ, I believe God gave us a prophetic picture in Scripture to help us understand this better. In the book of Exodus, God called Moses to the top of a mountain where he gave him a precise, precise instructions about how the people of Israel should build a tabernacle. And that, that tabernacle was to represent the presence of God among the people of God. It was going to be a place. God says, I don't really dwell in, in a tent, but... To, to represent my presence for you, you build this tabernacle, which included a tent, and I will basically come and fill that place. I will show you what it means to represent my presence among my people. And he said, so build a tabernacle, and he gave him very precise instructions on in how to do that. And within that tabernacle and the worship structure that surrounded it, God instructed them through Moses to build a number of things, but some of the th- three of the particular things is, he said, build within this worship structure an incense burner, and an altar for sacrificing animals, for burning animals, and these candlesticks, a candelabra, that would be fueled by, by olive oil and would burn. And as you read through the description of the, of the construction and operation of these various implements of worship in Exodus 25 to 30, you notice something. Something that I believe is designed by God to be a prophetic picture for us to understand what is, how do we live in the, real, in, the, in the fullness of the Spirit and how do we have the, fruit, the Spirit really begin to overwhelm us and take control of our lives. And it's, this is a prophetic picture. The altar, where they burn sacrifices, and the incense burner, and the candlestick were all designed to be burning continually. If you read through 25, verses 25 to 30 in Exodus, chapters 25 to 30, you'll see that's over and over, continual, perpetual. It's always talking, God goes to these great lengths in that section to say that these should burn continually, daily, perpetually, morning and evening. That the priest should get up in the morning and trim the wicks of the candle. That they should put oil in this. That they should, how they should put, keep the flame burning continually on the altar. There's this over overwhelming effort of God to say that this should be done continually, daily, and perpetually, morning and evening. A continual awareness towards God is what it's talking about. You should continually be facing or focusing on the reality of the presence of God in your life. They needed this continual maintenance or this continual attraction, something that attracted them that said, I have to focus over here instead of over here. 
in every day, every morning, every lunch, every evening. The prophetic picture from the tabernacle with its continual flames, which is a symbolic of the Lord's presence by the Holy Spirit, is that the flame must be tended continually. All these different flames. They had to constantly be burning. That's the prophetic message that he's trying to communicate in Exodus 25 to 30. To have the flame of the Lord's presence burning bright in your life, to have spirit fullness, it must be tended continually. Church, understand this in that whole picture. We misunderstand something. They say, well, to make God happy, we have to keep the flame burning. No. The flame isn't for God. God didn't care about the flame. The flame was for the people. They knew they had to keep on bringing the oil. They had to keep on um, trimming the wick. They had to keep on bringing the wood. They had to keep on bringing the coals for the incense. They had to keep on doing the, the flame. The maintenance of the flame was for the people. It's a way to keep the person in a right place spiritually so the person has to continually tend the relationship and benefit then from the presence of the Lord. Every day they poured in the oil. Every day they trim the wicks. Every day they put wood on the altar's fire. Every day they put more coals in the incense burner. The activity of doing those things tied the people to the presence of God. That's why God said it had to be continually. If I do things that continually tie me to the presence of God, I can't drift very far from the flame. I can't drift very far from where God wants me to be. And therefore, the fruit of the Spirit will well up within me because I stay in the presence of God. Friend, it's the same message that Paul was trying to communicate to us in Ephesians chapter 5. Be being continually, perpetually, daily filled with the Holy Spirit. Engage in those things that tie you to the presence of God. Engage in those things all the time, every day. Those things that bring you back to the Lord every morning, every lunch, every evening. Friends, that's how we live in the fullness of God. That's how we live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a result of a lifestyle. We, we say, God, come and fill me with your Spirit. We pray, God, I want to receive the fullness of the Spirit. Then every day we live being connected to the flame. Maintaining those things that, that keep us connected to God. It's not a mystery. It's a result. Today, this is what I want for us. If you have been born again, it's God's plan that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's God's plan. We, we looked at this earlier. All these people who are Christians, but it said they weren't yet filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants every one of his children filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pray in a moment. We're going to, I'm going to invite you to open up your hearts and ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And then by faith, I simply want you to receive his fullness. But also this. If in the past, maybe sometime in the past, you received the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you prayed and you said, by faith I received the fullness of the Spirit, and God really overwhelmed you and you had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, ask yourself, have you been living by the priorities where you have kept the flame burning? The evidence of that question is right there. You can't fudge that. You can try to. You can lie to yourself. But it won't do you any good. Have we been living a life 
where we stay tethered to the maintenance of the presence of the Lord in our lives or if everything else in the world distracted us. We have good intentions. Oh, I ought to do that or I want to do that. But do I? The evidence is a life of spirit fruit if we're doing that. If not, God's not mad. Just make a commitment in your heart between you and God today to change some priorities in your life. To say, you know what, these are priorities that I'm going to put in my life and I'm not going to let them change. Because, God, friends, God's plan for us is to live in spiritfulness. If you're ever going to experience the joy of the life God has for you, can you ever try to ask yourself, how come it is throughout history going on right now, there's people who stand in the face of death and persecution and they joyfully, I a while back gave you an illustration of a lady in Perpetua who would sang hymns as they killed her. You ever sat back and go, how is that possible? We whine about, you know, oh, church is this or that went too long or I don't get a donut or whatever else. You know, and, and I'm guilty and you're guilty. You know what the difference was? It's just living in the fullness of the Spirit. Because when you live in the fullness of the Spirit, He pours into you and you get, you get your best life ever. You get everything. And then you also are so much more of a blessing to the world around you. You shine Jesus to the world around you. And I know that's what you want. You want to shine Jesus to your kids. You want to shine Jesus to your grandkids. You want to shine Jesus to your neighbors and your coworkers. You want them to see the reality of the radiance of Christ. It comes through a spirit-filled life. That's what it comes from. It doesn't come from quoting Bible verses at them. It comes from letting them see Jesus in you. Then you may be led to quote some Bible verses, but at the appropriate time, it'll, it'll help instead of push them further away. So you know what? Today, if you say, you know, I've come to Christ, but I've not really, I've not invited the Holy Spirit to come and fill me. Today, I want you to do that. In a minute, where I'm going to ask you just to come and surround these altars and begin to pray. If maybe you've done that before and, and you are, do an honest self-evaluation, you go, yeah, when I, uh, when I, when something doesn't go right, I kind of explosive. Matter of fact, people know me as explosive. People know me as I'm hot-tempered when I do this sport or I'm hot-tempered when I engage in this or I'm hot-tempered when I drive. People say, you know what? Maybe it's time for, for me to say, God, I want to make some commitments today to a spirit-filled life. And you do this. You pray, God, just fill me again. And so, Susie, if you'd come this morning, I invite you all to stand with me this morning. I want to pray. And then I'm just going to invite you Come and spend some time praying around these altars. I would really like us to, to move forward and come and pray. You don't have to. I'm not, not an insistence. You can pray in your chair. But I want to, I want to just encourage us to come and to and by an activity say, God, I'm coming, I'm going for you. I'm opening up my heart to receive the fullness of the Spirit. Because God, I want to be spirit filled in my life. We're going to pray. Then when you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, you make your way quietly out of the sanctuary. We'll get some cake and some coffee, celebrate with the minorities. You know what? Let me pray. And then I invite you to come and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that your word shows us there's a lifestyle of spiritfulness. There's a lifestyle where, where we're not ruled by the flesh. And God, every single one of us was born ruled by the flesh. There's no other way because our spirits were dead. But then, God, we come to know you and you breathe life into us. And Lord God, you want us to have that, and that receive all of that life, all of the fullness of your Spirit. And so Lord, right now I pray this for our entire church family. I pray, fill us. 
with your Spirit. Let the wind of the Holy Spirit, Lord, blow across this congregation. And God, let us go beyond living by the flesh. And let us begin to live in the power and the strength and the glory of a Spirit-filled life. God, for some, for the first time, coming and saying, I want to receive the fullness of the Spirit. God, come and, and, and minister to them today. Give them a book of Acts experience. Let the wind and the, and the fire come. Let them experience your presence like they did on that day. And some, God, who say, you know, Lord, I've been open, but really my life's been distracted. And God, and my mind is the flesh. I'm, I'm pegging towards empty. And I want to be full again. So God, we know when we pray those, those prayers, you always hear and you always respond because there's nothing you love more than ministering to your kids when they, when they come to you with open hearts and say, I want more of you. And that's what we're praying. So Lord Jesus, we want more of you. Church, come. Let's pray this morning. I invite you just to come and to find a place to pray. Let's begin to open up our hearts and from this, the, from your heart, begin to call out to God. Let's spend some time seeking after the Lord this morning.